0: Welcome to Humans of CX, a podcast powered by Ozontel. We share the latest insights in customer experience from industry experts to help you humanize your approach, placing empathy at the center of the customer experience. I'm your host, Todd Vecca. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Humans of CX. I'm your host, Todd Vecca. Today, we are joined by Dan Gingis, CEO of The Experience Maker, keynote speaker, author. We're going to talk about all that stuff. And Dan, how are you doing today?
1: I'm great, Todd. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Looking forward to chatting with you.
0: Thanks for being here. Can we start with just telling us a little bit about your background, your career, and stuff that you have going on right now?
1: Of course. So I spent 20 years in corporate America as mostly a marketer, evolving into a CX guy, I worked for some companies you've probably heard of, Discover Card, Humana, McDonald's, and then actually tried out a B2B before going out on my own in 2019 with the Experience Maker. And so today I'm a keynote speaker. I also do workshops, trainings, coaching as well and I get to live and breathe customer experience every day, which is incredibly fun, very rewarding, and it's one of those topics that's constantly evolving, so it always keeps me on my toes.
0: Awesome, what drew you to the CX space, would you say, if you had to go back in your career a little bit?
1: Well, I was at Discover Card and I got recruited into a role in the digital area that was head of digital customer experience and social media. And the funny part about that was, at the time, I had never done anything related to digital customer experience or social media. So I kind of inquired with the big boss, why are you recruiting me to this role? I'm flattered, but I don't understand it. And he said something that really changed the whole course of my career. He said, I've been watching you in business meetings, and one of the things that you do is you're always wearing the customer's hat. You are always trying to solve business problems through the lens of the customer, And he said to me in 2013, we need to start doing that in digital because digital is where customer experience is going. Man, was he right. I mean, today, digital experience and customer experience are almost one and the same. And so as soon as I got into that role, I started seeing how quickly I could affect change by making little changes within the digital experience. I could reduce hundreds if not thousands of phone calls in the contact center by fixing something that was annoying customers or that was confusing customers or what have you. I could make our customer satisfaction scores jump by creating a positive experience on the site that people didn't expect or that made their lives easier, et cetera. And that just got me hooked. And that's why today I like to joke and say, If I never have to do another marketing campaign again, it's too soon. And then I'd much rather focus on continuing to enhance the experience of the people that are already paying us.
0: Yeah. And to that point, how often do you see, because it's probably old hat to you at this point, and I see this too in our business. How often do you see when you're working with businesses, people that just, maybe the issue is they just haven't stepped out of their own role or their own spreadsheets or reports, to put themselves in the mindset of, hey, would you buy from me if I was in the other person's shoes, right?
1: Totally right. And I think of it as looking in the mirror, right? Is that we're looking one directionally at a mirror, but there's something that's staring back at us, right? And it's that that we need to, we need to see that view as well. Let me give you a practical example. I did a lot of work in the dental industry, and I learned that most dentists have their office in the back of the practice. And usually there is an exit back there. And so what happens is dentists walk in and out of their office through the back door. And they do this very intentionally because if they show up in the morning and there's already people in the waiting room, like they don't want to be stopped and then people are going to wait longer, et cetera. But what I say to them is at least once a week, you got to walk in through the front door. Because you got to see what your patients see. You got to see that nobody's cleaned the glass on the door in a couple of weeks. You got to see that the magazines are out of date and that you've still got magazine titles there from 2019. You got to see that the coffee maker is broken or that the check in desk is really messy. You're never going to see those things if you're always walking in the back door. And so I think no matter what business you're in, even if you're in an all digital business, you've got to be able to view it from the customer perspective. So log into your own platform. I always like to tell people, make sure you forget your password and go through that process because that's always a fun process that we make customers go through. Do those things and you really can start to get into their headspace.
0: I love that example. And I know you advocate for simple, practical, inexpensive CX ideas, and that, that was one that you gave us. How about an example of how the little things turn into the big things? Let's say we don't address them, whether it's the dentist or, or anybody else, we just kind of let that stuff go. What are the consequences of that?
1: Well, the little things do add up because what's happened, especially in the last few years, is switching costs in most industries have come way down it's not nearly as hard to switch banks anymore as it used to be or to switch cell phone providers or cable companies or airlines or dentists, for that matter. And so customers are more willing to switch when they're having bad experiences. And yet one little screw-up that's kind of minor is maybe not going to make a customer leave. But you've heard the expression, death by a thousand paper cuts. If we keep cutting them, if we keep just irritating them, poking at them, making it a little bit harder when it could be a little bit easier. At some point, people put their hands up and say, you know what? I don't need this anymore. I just want to have a smooth, fast, convenient relationship. And this is not that. And so I'm going to start looking somewhere else. And that's where they become open to some promotion that your competitor is offering that maybe they weren't paying attention to before, but now they are. And so I always like to say that Customer experience doesn't have to be a multi-million dollar, multi-year transformational project because if it is that, it's not going to get done. It's going to be stuck competing against other multi-million dollar, multi-year transformational projects. When you look at it as a series of little things and little, simple, practical, inexpensive improvements, now you don't have to go through all of that red tape through budgeting and legal and brand and all the people that want to approve things. You can just do most of these things because they're enhancing the experience without spending a whole lot of money to do it. And so just in the way that the little paper cuts add up negatively, so too little positive things add up positively.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about your book and promote it, The Experience Maker. What issues are you addressing and solving in the book?
1: So the book is really a conglomeration of all of the wonderful examples that I have come up with either in my own career, in my own life experience with brands, or examples that others have shared with me. And I love it when people share great, positive experiences. And I put it all together into a framework that teaches companies how to create the kinds of experiences that your customers want to talk about. Because ultimately, the marketer in me says, if we can get our customers talking about us positively, that's word of mouth marketing. That's the holy grail, right? You can't pay for that. But if we create enough great experiences that people say, man, I really like doing business with this company. They tell their friends, they tell their family, they tell their colleagues at work, they post on social media about a great experience. Now they're doing the marketing for us. And it is always better when someone else can compliment us instead of us trying to compliment ourselves. It doesn't come off nearly as genuine, right? And when somebody else does that for you, it's such a gift and it is such a great way to grow your business.
0: Yeah. So we talk a lot about in the show about how sometimes our KPIs or a business's KPIs don't necessarily align with the customers. So we think we have great products, great technology. We've been doing this for a long time. But then when we actually survey our customers, it's like, well, yes, but it's not a great experience. Why should businesses care more about that? And especially as it relates to their existing customers that maybe they take for granted.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've seen the same stats I have that the amount of money that companies spend on sales and marketing versus the amount of money they spend on the people that are already there, it's night and day. It doesn't make any sense. It's completely opposite and backwards. And I think that today in most industries, Competing on price is a loser's game. It's a battle to the bottom, right? That's not how we're going to make money. I always think of the local gas station that's got its competitor right across the street, right? One guy drops the gas by a penny or two, the next guy matches, the next guy goes down again. Next thing you know, we're giving away gas for free. I wish, but hypothetically. It's also really hard to compete on product or service because almost everything has become commoditized. If you even think about If I asked you to name some of the most innovative brands of our generation, I'm sure one of the brands that would come up would have been Uber. Completely disrupted the taxi industry, completely changed transportation and how we think about getting from one place to another. And yet today, if you get into a rideshare car, I dare you to tell me whether it's an Uber or a Lyft. In fact, it's probably both because the driver is working for both companies. That's how undifferentiated the experience has become which gets me worried that is once it's copyable and it's commoditized it's so much harder to compete then and i'm sure i'm not the only one that opens up the uber app looks and see how much it's going to cost lift opens up the lyft app looks and sees how much it's going to cost and picks the cheaper one because there's no difference in the experience and so therefore i'm going to go back to price and as I said before, competing on price is going to be a loser's game. So I think every company, B2C, B2B, no matter what business you're in, you can compete on experience. And when you do, that's how you get people to really be loyal and stick around and want ask for more. Because they like doing business with you. They feel appreciated. They feel connected. They feel like it's a relationship, not just a transaction. That's how you keep customers in 2022 and
0: beyond. Absolutely. Tell us about the WISER method.
1: Sure. So that's the methodology I referred to in the book of how to create these kinds of experiences that people want to share. WISER stands for witty, immersive, shareable, extraordinary, and responsive. The first four that form the word wise are how to create experiences, the components that need to be there. And you can pick even just one of them. Obviously, the more that you stack, the more impactful the experience will be, but even just one of them is going to make a difference. And then the R about being responsive is really this idea that if we get people talking about us and saying nice things about us, especially in public and social media, we got to be part of that conversation. I always like to joke, if I get off the stage after a keynote and somebody says, hey, great speech, my favorite one of the whole event, and I just keep walking past them, they're going to think I'm a jerk. And yet every day, Millions of people say nice things about brands on social media and the brands know where to be found. There's nobody saying, yeah, we love you too. Thanks for being a customer. We're so happy to have you. They're just, the brands are set up only to handle complaints and customer service issues. And so they're ignoring the positivity. So when you use Wise, you're gonna get more positivity. You then have to be there to be responsive and wiser than the competition by being responsive and engaging with customers that wanna engage with you. And one quick thing about that, we were asking me before about my career and kind of what changed. I mentioned that this role at Discover was the head of digital customer experience and social media. Now, if you go to my... Twitter profile, DGingas, you'll see that it says member since or whenever you signed up, right? I actually signed up for Twitter the day I took that job because I was like, man, I better figure out this Twitter thing if I'm going to lead customer service, if I'm going to lead social media. And what I learned really quickly, and I still believe this all these years later, I'm still not very high on social media as a marketing channel. I think it is just too interruptive. And so I don't like the experience, right? I don't like scrolling through Facebook or Instagram and constantly seeing ads when that's not why I'm there. I do love social media as an engagement channel. And if you think about when we were growing up, Todd, if we wanted to talk to a brand, the only way that I remember being able to do it was to write them a letter, right? And I'm not that old, but I mean, that's how you did it. You didn't call customer service to say, hey, I love your brand, you're doing a great job. You sent them a letter and the nice brands would send a letter back and maybe send you a coupon or something. Once social media came out, there became this opportunity for customers and brands to interact with each other in a way that just never existed before. And I think customers really liked it. Everybody loves when a brand with the check mark likes or retweets or responds to one of your tweets, right? That, that you feel good about that. You feel important, and so it's created this ability to have more of a relationship with brands than ever existed before. And that is what makes people sticky, right? When we feel like we have a relationship with a brand. Why do we travel on the same airline all the time? Well, because we've got a a healthy loyalty program, which is great. And at least for me, the airline that I fly, when I tweet at them or send them a direct message, I get an answer back. They say things like, welcome back aboard. We're so happy to have you again. It's always a pleasure. I feel like they know me and that makes
0: me want to fly their airline more. Absolutely. I know Wheel of Fortune tweeted my mother back. I think it changed her life forever. So that was- <laughs> That's awesome. What is a commonly held belief about CX that maybe you disagree with, kind of go against the grain, that everybody kind of says, hey, this is what it is, but you're like, eh, maybe not.
1: Besides from the fact that it has to be multi-year, multi-million dollar transformational program, which I don't think it has to, I think the other misconception is that uh, most employees don't understand that customer experience is really everyone's job. Now, the problem in corporate America is when something's everybody's job, it becomes nobody's job. So you still have to have a CX team who runs it and who's responsible and who understands the 30,000 foot view of the whole customer journey. But what I mean about it being everybody's job is that regardless of whether you are in a customer-facing job, you're making decisions every day that impact the customer. So if you're in the finance department, for example, and you may never speak to a customer, But you're sending out invoices. You're determining which methods of payments that they're allowed to use. You're determining requirements in terms of amount of time to pay, grace period, all that sort of stuff. That's all part of the experience. If you're a B2B company and you have a longer grace period to pay than others, people like you for that. That's a generous policy and people remember those kinds of things. And so if you're in the legal department, you may never speak to a customer, but you're writing terms and conditions and disclosures and heck, you're making up the rules that customers have to abide by. So don't think that you're not in customer experience. You definitely are. You're making decisions every day that impact the experience. So that to me is the misconception is I do believe that customer experience should be part of every job description because I can't think of a job at a company that doesn't ultimately have some impact on the customer.
0: Absolutely, so let's take it to the employee side now, because especially in a post-COVID kind of environment, work from home, things are tied together probably more than ever. How does this also apply? Because I think it's not a stretch to think that unhappy employees are gonna trickle down to unhappy customers. How do you kind of address that when you're working with folks?
1: Sure, well, the first thing is to acknowledge exactly what you just said. I like to think of it as a infinity loop. Okay, so customer experience and employee experience are on each side of this infinity loop and they continue to improve upon each other or the other way around. So when we have happy employees, they're going to make our customers happy. When our customers are happy, that makes our employees jobs easier. So they like that, too. So they're even happier. And so the more that we elevate one, the other one is also affected. I think one of the key things that companies often miss is... You can't just say to an employee, I want you to create a great experience. Because the stats actually will tell you that most consumers, two thirds in fact, can't remember the last time that any company exceeded their expectations. So if we extend this to our employees who are also consumers, they probably don't even know what a good experience looks like. And so how can we expect them to create one for customers if they don't know what it looks like themselves? The answer is, let's create such a great experience at our company an, such a great employee experience that now they can say, oh, this is what it feels like when I have an awesome experience, when I feel super appreciated, when I feel loved by my company, when I'm happy to go into work every day. And now that I know what that feels like, now I know how to translate that to a customer. I want to give them the same feeling about doing business with us. So it does One begets the other, but I do think you have to almost start with employee experience because the thing that makes customer experience unique at every company is it's delivered by humans. And every company has a different set of humans. So by definition, their experience is going to be unique. But we got to teach those humans. We got to show them what it looks like to have a great experience so then they can pass it on to the customer.
0: Yeah. And I think we've talked to several folks about this. Previous generations kind of grew up just expecting to hate their nine-to-five job and it's just part of life and they they did it. But as we're coming out of the Great Resignation and then now this silent quitting, which is even more dangerous because businesses have these employees that are literally just going through the motions, doing the minimum. And I don't think they really look at how that's affecting the bottom line or the metric that they don't see is how many customers they've lost because they've ignored the employees.
1: Absolutely. And a lot of that comes down to old policies that don't get relooked at. I mean, for example, in many contact centers today, there are five different generations working in them. You think that a single policy is gonna cover Gen Z and baby boomers? Probably not. They have very different work ethics. They like to use different technology. They're spending their time outside of work very differently. They're completely different people. So if we have one single set of policies or expectations that doesn't take into consideration those differences, Somebody's going to be left out in the cold. I also think that what's happened and has been a complete transformation over the last few years is that even the most ardent companies of you're in the office five days a week and working eighty hours and wearing a suit and all that have now had the experience of people working from home and have figured out you know what this actually can work and there's benefits to us. We're spending a zillion dollars running this building that maybe we don't even have to own anymore. We can recruit from all around the world now because we don't have to have everybody in northeastern Pennsylvania or wherever our company is located. We can just find the best people out there no matter where they live. So there's a lot of advantages. And of course employees for the most part, while they miss the socialization of the office, they really enjoy working from home. They like the flexibility. They like being able to have the dog with them or be home when their kids get home from school. And so it has become, but it's completely changed the work environment. And I think if companies refuse to adapt to that, if they come back and they say, okay, we're going back to the office now and fun time's over, there's no working from home anymore, they're going to lose a lot of employees to businesses that have figured out a more hybrid or at least more balanced way of doing things.
0: Yeah, I still remember. I don't think it's ever going to go back quite the same. I still remember, like, even though we talk about little things, fighting over the thermostat and it's, you know, it's 80 degrees in here or 60 degrees or somebody's cooking something in the microwave. It just, this stuff doesn't need to happen and makes employees happier. So we're only going back a couple years with this question, but what advice would you give your 18 year old self?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's only like three years ago, Ty. Three years. I was going (laughs) to say five, but we'll give you three. The advice that I would give would be do what you love and love what you do. And it sounds like a cliche. But as I look back on a long career, the last four years of my life where I have, as I like to say, worked for the Dan instead of the man, have been the most fun of my career. I always used to joke that I judged my job satisfaction based on the number of times I hit the snooze button in the morning because I'm not a morning person. Now I wake up and I'm like, I'm ready to go because I'm doing what I love. I'm doing it for myself and I finally have found my calling. It took me 20-plus years, and I think I had to go through all of that. I think that you know part of what makes me good at what I do today is that I had all of the experiences in the trenches at companies and therefore can identify with clients or audiences because I've been in their shoes before. And if you think about it, that's a very customer experience thing to do. But that's what I would say is, if you don't like your job, if you're miserable, it's not going to get better. Go find something that you can be happy at. Because if we got to spend as much time as we do working, we might as well be doing something we have some passion around.
0: Yeah, in my experience, red flags are real. You see red flags, it's probably not you missing something. It's probably legitimate. It's going to get worse.
1: Yeah, let me just add one more thing, Todd. I'm not suggesting that everybody go out and be an entrepreneur because that isn't for everybody. And I remember when I first started and I'd have months where there was a month where I I made more money than I've ever made in a month in my life. And then the next month I made nothing, (laughs) right? Now I've gotten better and now it's way more even, but that kind of seesawing would cause a lot of people to run for the hills. So it's not that I'm saying you should go out on your own. I'm saying, go find a company that appreciates you, that you enjoy working for, that you love their product or service, and that you feel valued. And these things matter because then when you go home after work, or maybe you're already home, but you leave your home office and you go to your significant other, your mood is totally different right? I had a great day at work today. And now I'm going to have a nice evening with my family versus coming in the door all huffing and puffing because you hate work and you hate your boss and you're mad. And then guess what? That leaks out into your family. It's hard not to bring that home. And so I just think it's a very, whether it's a mental health thing or whatever, getting into the headspace of, look, I got to work. I might as well do something that I like, that I'm passionate about, and that I can feel fulfilled with. And so that may just be going from company A to company B because company A is just never going to do it for you because of the red flags.
0: Right. So we're going to have a little fun question now. We do this. We do this every week, but we are starting a CX party bus that you get to drive. You get to go pick up like four or five or six people. There's really no rules. We just kind of make it up as we go along. But you get to pick up a few people. Who are you picking up for that CX party bus?
1: So it's a great question. I... The CX world is pretty close and tight-knit, especially in my business. Almost every other customer experience, speaker, author, podcaster, I know them, they're my friends. I'd invite them all onto the bus, right? And even though there's maybe a healthy competition, we all love each other and we're all sort of going towards the same thing. But what I would do would probably be to focus on the business people that have done this so well, that might not consider themselves CX people. For example, I think Howard Schultz is an absolute genius. He's the founder, CEO of Starbucks. And the idea that Starbucks went from one store in Seattle to what it is today, and the fact that even today, the focus is so much on the experience. Going to Starbucks is A little bit about the coffee, a lot about the experience. And I just think that he is absolutely brilliant on that. Whether you like Amazon or not, I think Bezos is a genius and would love to be able to talk with him about making everything convenient, everything fast continuing to outdo yourself. Just the number of times that Amazon has improved the return process, one tiny little process in the customer journey, the number of times they've improved it over the years to the point where, let's face it, it is simply the easiest company to make a return is just incredible. And I think they're so good at what they do. And that's why they've been so successful. Other companies, I'd love to invite their executives. I think Chewy is a great one. I think Sephora is a great one. We'd have to bring somebody from the travel and hospitality business around, but those are the kinds of folks that I feel like I could still learn a whole lot from. That I'd really enjoy being on a long bus ride with.
0: That's awesome, Dan. We're coming up on time. We got to pay the sponsors or whatever they they tell me. Want to spend the last minute kind of letting you shine? What do you have going on? What's in the future? what are some things that you'd like to promote or audience would would and should know about Dan Gingis?
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. First and foremost, my love is speaking on stage, whether it is a keynote presentation or a workshop or a training for customer service agents. I love being in front of people and helping to spread the passion around customer experience. And I always look at it as my job is to create an experience for the audience because that's exactly what I'm teaching them how to do for their customers. So I love that more than anything. But also, I love being connected to people that are working on this day-to-day in the trenches. You can connect with me a lot of different ways. I'm very active on LinkedIn, also on Twitter. I have a newsletter that comes out every week at cxnewsletter.com that has one article from me. And then I also curate lots of articles. So I try to, I really pride myself in trying to find the best content, which isn't necessarily always mine, but bring in other people's content as well. And you can also listen to my podcast, which is called Experience This, which I co-host with Joey Coleman. We are in our 10th season very different kind of a podcast. We share three different customer experience stories every episode. We don't interview anyone, it's just the two of us, but we have an absolute blast. And it is some of the content I'm most proud of.
0: That's awesome. And I got a chance to talk to Joey last week and it was a really good experience. So, folks at home, just wanted to encourage you to follow Dan Gingis. We'll have all the socials and information in the show notes. And Dan, thank you so much for this half hour. I really appreciate your time and uh, learned a lot from you today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an honor. Thank you for listening to Humans of CX, a podcast brought to you by OzoneTel. If you enjoyed today's show, visit OzoneTel.com to learn more about how our robust omni-channel communications platform makes it the industry leader within the customer experience space. You can find Humans of CX on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as well as other platforms that are featuring podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Thank you so much for listening.